This is VLX number 44, The Faith of a Centurion. We are in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. God give you his peace. Let's begin in prayer. In nomine Patris, Affiliate, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. God, O oh Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Affiliate, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Matthew chapter 8, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. My name is Father David Nix. Thanks for joining me on this scripture series. Just two quick announcements for you. One, I didn't see any negative feedback against my notion of combining the non-imaginative way of prayer with the imaginative way of prayer. So I think we'll combine the two methods of prayer in every section here. I'll still try to do the imaginative way of prayer a bit more towards the end, but without that timestamp that I put in the middle. Secondly, please realize that every YouTube video here is the exact same on my podcast. So in other words, if you follow VLX or CPX on YouTube at Padre Peregrino, but sometimes want it on the go, just download Padre Peregrino on a podcast app ahead of time. Similarly, if you usually listen on the podcast, but sometimes want to see the Greek on the screen, feel free to pop over to YouTube, same channel, Padre Peregrino. And actually, third announcement, I think it's okay to write in your Bible. So... Some days I won't have the Greek on the screen like today, but I will tell you how to write the Cyrillic in Latin letters with definitions so you can have word studies right in your Bible if you want to come back to it. Some of you are just doing this on the go without prayer. Some of you are probably trying five minutes of prayer, some 10, some 15 minutes. Uh, however you do it, um, this is also on the playlist on Padre Peregrino on YouTube. So you can go through all the VLX and then the CPX is my series with the Catechism. Now the first thing I want to tackle today in Matthew chapter 8 is you might have noticed this exact same pericope takes place in St. Luke. But there's a few different details in there. In fact, the details are so different that many modernist scripture scholars think that there were mistakes in there, as blasphemous as that is. But they weren't the first to catch these apparent contradictions. Father Lapide wrote the book that I always quote in 1600, conglomerating all of these church fathers. And there were 1600 years of saints catching apparent, apparent is a key word, apparent contradictions. So here's the main difference. Luke chapter 7 includes the Jewish hierarchy being sent by the Roman centurion to Jesus. Quote, Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. Okay, so which one was it? Did, this, did the centurion come to Jesus like we heard today? Or did the centurion send his friends or these emissaries to Jesus? Well, there's two explanations from the saints. St. Theoflacht, he believed the centurion came 
after he had sent these people. In other words, Luke covers part one and Matthew covers part two. Now, St. John Chrysostom believes the centurion came to Jesus through these emissaries, through these Jewish emissaries. And this is possible since a representative in these ancient cultures was as strong as yourself. Now, usually I agree with St. John Chrysostom on this stuff, but here I agree with St. Theophylact that at first the centurion sent the Jews and then he went in person because it's just too personalized the interaction between Jesus and the centurion today to believe all this came through the emissary. Who was the centurion? This is a really interesting question and it actually has an answer in, in tradition, in the tradition of the church. Listen to this. This is from Lapide, page 387. Dexter, in his chronicle, lately published, says that the centurion was Caius Cornelius, a Spanish centurion, the father of Caius Opius, also a centurion, who stood as an attendant and guard beside Christ on the cross and beheld the signs that were done in heaven and the sun and the earth and the rocks and was converted to Christ. Both father and son afterwards preached Christ in Judea and Spain. So what it's saying right there is today's centurion had a son who was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. It's all the miracles. And then both of them went on to preach Christ crucified and risen as baptized Christians. So keep that in mind as we go through today's study. And what he says there is, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now the word there in Greek is boy. But boy was idiomatic for a very dear servant in certain circumstances. So those who translate it as either boy or servant, they're actually both correct there. But servant's probably closer to what needs to be conveyed here. Because he was his servant. Quote, and he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. Now, many of you might recognize those who go to the New Mass and those who go to the Latin Mass, this is what we say before we receive Holy Communion. Now, what's so cool about English, and I, I rarely compliment the English language, but this is what's really cool about English. The word in Greek is roof, as in roof of mouth, and we also say roof in English, implying roof of the mouth, that the Eucharist is going to go under the roof of our mouth. Now, you might think, well, that's in every language, but go look it up. It's not. It happens to be a really neat connection between the Greek and the English that we both call this the roof of our mouth. Keep in mind theologically, though, this is a prayer to be healed of venial sin. Before you receive Holy Communion, you say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you enter into my roof, but only say the word and I shall be healed. Domine non sum dignus, sut intres subtecta meam, sut tantum dicverabut sanabitoranima mea. In that, you're praying to be released and freed of venial sin, not mortal sin. If you're in mortal sin, you can't go to Holy Communion. You've got to go to confession before you go to Holy Communion. But this is a prayer to be healed and freed of venial sin at Mass before the Son of God himself is under the roof of your mouth. Okay, let's look even deeper at that verse. The centurion is using here an a fortiori argument. That's an argument that means so much the more, or an argument from lesser to greater. I talked about this on an earlier VLX or CPX, I can't remember. This was a very common argument in ancient times and in legal practices. By the way, if you ever hear me quote something from, say, like a Protestant version like the NIV, if I ever give you a footnote from that, I'm usually using an a fortiori argument so as to say, if the Protestants can believe this, so much more can the Catholics believe this since we have a 2,000-year tradition of believing in the inerrancy of Scripture. Okay, but let's go back to the centurion. What he's saying here, as Father Lapide wrote exactly, quote, If I, who am placed under the authority of Caesar, can still give my orders to the soldiers under me, how much more can you, O Christ, who are under the power of none, but are God omnipotent and Lord of all, do whatever you will by your command? End quote. 
So what this centurion is saying is, yes, that he's under Christ's command, but even more that all diseases are under Christ's command since all of nature is under Christ's command. And this also explains why the geography of Christ doesn't really matter to the centurion. It doesn't matter if uh, he comes into his house or wherever else. He's saying, you are so powerful and so omnipotent that you could be on the moon and command my servant and he would immediately get better. Quote, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one here in Israel have I found such faith. End quote. Now, if you're a good Catholic, you should be asking yourself two things that don't make sense here. Number one, if no one in Israel had more faith than the centurion, then where does that leave the Blessed Virgin Mary? And number two, if the centurion believes Jesus is God, then how can God be surprised at one of his creatures? Well, thankfully, the church fathers and the saints have answered this for us already. So for that first question, did the centurion really have more supernatural faith than the Blessed Virgin Mary? Father Lapide says, quote, You must understand Christ to speak of the ordinary run of people at the time of his preaching, for there is without doubt greater faith in the Blessed Virgin in Abraham and Moses, end quote. So basically what Father Lapide is saying is that when Christ says, I found no greater faith in Israel, he's talking about the general run of the people there. And this is where we have to take the Bible literally as a Middle Eastern, not as a European, basically. Okay, that other question is, how can Jesus, if he's God, be surprised? This goes into what St. Thomas Aquinas teaches about the three different forms of knowledge in the mind and soul of Jesus Christ. In that divine knowledge which Christ had as God, there was a threefold knowledge as he was man. Number one, beatific, by which he beheld the essence of God and in the enjoyment of which he was blessed. Number two, infused, by which through the species sent into his soul by God at the very moment of his conception, he knew all things. And number three, experimental, by which those things which he understood through infused knowledge, he daily saw, heard, and understood through experience. And let's look at one more thing on the personality of that centurion. I recently watched a Jocko Willink podcast. Jocko Willink is a Navy SEAL, and he had on Johnny Kim, who is also a Navy SEAL, a combat medic, now Harvard-trained physician, and is soon to be an astronaut. Johnny Kim, every time that he spoke about leadership, and again, here's a guy who's a combat medic, a Navy SEAL, and just graduated Harvard Med School and wants to be a trauma surgeon as he returns to the Navy for those in combat. And this great leader, every time he spoke about being a leader, he also spoke of being a great follower. For Johnny Kim, and by the way, if you, if you Google Johnny Kim, I put in, is Johnny Kim, and the first guess there was real. <laughs> is Johnny Kim real? Uh, what an American hero this man is. But he always spoke of leadership in the same breath as following. And this actually reminds me very much, just happened to be a coincidence that I came across this section in Lapide after I watched the Jocko Willink podcast about how St. Bernard talks about to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. This is what St. Bernard says about today's centurion. He says, we need not suspect that it is boasting. In other words, what he's saying is when he says, I'm a man subject to authority, but having soldiers under me, he's not boasting because he gets right to the point of humility right there. St. Bernard continues, he was not embarrassed by the authority over him and therefore he was worthy to have soldiers under him. He first gave honor to his superiors so that he might now justly receive it from his subordinates. What a great description of this man. And you know, when we're in a time when so many people see following Jesus as so effeminate, what a great meditation today on this centurion that knew leadership, but he also knew how to follow. So bring to prayer. I might suggest you bring this to prayer. What does it mean to be a good leader like this Roman soldier? Well, you have to be a humble follower. First, a follower of Christ. And this is what is to be revealed about the very personality of the soldier. 
that you can be a very robust leader and still recognize you're absolutely nothing next to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Very manly meditation today. So why don't you picture yourself either today, if you're doing the Ignatian mental prayer, either as that centurion or maybe that centurion's wife, if you're a woman, or just maybe another guard. Maybe you don't want to be that centurion. Maybe you want to be his sidekick or someone who's under him in the Roman legion right there. And you're watching this whole thing. Bring this to mental prayer. And so as this centurion goes up to our Lord, whether you are him or you are playing the role of his wife, or you're playing the role of one of his servants, or you're playing the role of an E1, we could say, under him. You go to Christ, and what I'd like you to see is just Jesus' face, as we always come back to. Look in these eyes that are as deep as the ocean, as he is surprised at the faith of this centurion. Picture this centurion who's maybe been to France, maybe as far as Iraq and battle. This man is afraid of nothing, and he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. So right there we know he's got a great heart. He, he cares about one of his servants. And then Jesus looks at him and says, I will come and heal him. Notice how simple our Lord's words are. Sometimes he sounds like a child. I will come and heal him. There's no fanfare. He just knows his power. But the centurion replies, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and my servant do this, and he does it. Notice that boldness in approaching our Lord. He recognizes his total power. He's dependent on him. He's not commanding our Lord, but he is, just like the leper, saying, if you will it, this will happen. What faith that is. And our Lord is so happy, he marvels at this. So see that surprise on our Lord's face. Remember, we talked about the three forms of knowledge, so we understand that this wasn't infused knowledge. This wasn't who he is as the second person of Trinity. But experientially, see our Lord delight in this centurion. See him delight in how much faith he has, how much trust he has, and how immediately he heals him. Please say an hour, Father, for me. At benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris, Ephiri, et Spiritus Sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.